Hey, everybody, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to make sure you're following Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. We're on Facebook under that name. We're on Instagram and Twitter under Testis Cancer. That's T-E-S-T-E-S Cancer, C-A-N-C-E-R, which I'm very sure that you know how to spell at this point. So make sure you give us a follow if you're not already so that when we post new content or post reminders for your monthly self-exams, you can be the first one to see it. Thanks so much. Let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Today, I'm joined by Juan Alatore. Juan is from North Carolina, and he's a testicular cancer survivor. Juan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So first, let's start off by introducing yourself. Who are you and what do you do? All right. So again, my name is Juan Alatore. I'm 48 years old and I'm originally from San Diego, California. I've been in North Carolina now for six years and I'm an operations support manager for a travel management company. Um, and then of course my hobbies besides traveling are uh, playing as softball on the weekends if I can, a lot of tournaments as well. So Awesome. All right. So the reason we're here today is to talk about testicular cancer of which you are a survivor as mentioned. Kind of take me through like when you were first diagnosed. I know in your your submission that you noted that you were doing your regular checks. Correct. Yes. So um, I'm a big advocate and hey, you know, check yourself. I do it in the shower about every every week or so. And it happened on February 16th of 2018. I was in the shower and I, I noticed that one one ball was just a lot bigger than the other one. And it didn't hurt to squeeze it a bit. It just was kind of odd and it was harder. So I thought, well, I wonder what this is. I actually uh, sent a message to a, a doctor friend of mine and he said, oh, it could be a varicose seal or, or something like that. There could be water in there. Um, so, you know, wait a couple of days to see if the swelling goes down. So that was on a Friday, Monday, the 19th. Nothing, you know, actually did swelling did not go down. So I called my, my GP and he said, okay, go ahead and come in right away. He had me, um, he looked at it. He said, uh, go to an ultrasound, go get an ultrasound. It was the next day. I think uh, that came back and said, that does not look good. It looks like there's a mass in there. And so they got me that Friday to go see the, um, sorry, that was, that was on Friday and then the following Friday. So then on Monday, then the 26th of February, 10 days later, um, I go see the urologist. He checks it out. He says, it looks like that is cancer. And we're going to have to remove it. And I'd never been a sick a day in my life. So I didn't really know what to expect. It was kind of scary. And he said, um, I'm quite busy today, but let me see when we can get you in. Well, I was waiting there and he said, oh, we've got a spot at 430 today. You're not going back to work. You're going to go. We have to get have that removed, you know. And it, it was just a very, it was a very crazy day. But literally, it went from, I did it in 10 days. It was gone in 10 days wow. um, from when I found it to when it was gone. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of how it happened. So, so let's, let's jump back in. So you were doing your self-checks. What kind of made you even aware of that? Because a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, it's not even something that ever crossed their mind. So for you to have already been doing it, that's great. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's knowing your body more than anything. Um, a lot of, and, and uh, unfortunately, and it's what I put later on in my questions, a lot of it, a lot of guys think it's embarrassing. They think they're playing with themselves or whatever, but no, I mean, luckily testicular cancer is, is one of the very few cancers that's actually noticeable. 
um, unlike when, if you get something that's an interior type of cancer that just appears all of a sudden. And hey, you know what, honestly, you know, your balls, they, <laughs> you know, they're a big, they're an important part of, of, you know, your manhood. And so you want to make sure that everything down there is copacetic, as they say. And so I, I was checking like once a week, like I said, and, um, and all of a sudden I noticed that growth and it just, it shocked me. I said, this is not normal. So. And you were how old when you were diagnosed? Oh, I was 43. Okay. So TCAF <laughs> says the range is 15 to 44. So you were right in there. Exactly. Well, I, and originally what I had, anything I had known about TC, I originally thought it was 15 to 34, but then when I went to the urologist and he, he told me it was cancer, he said that they had recently raised it to 44. So yeah, I was, that, that was right in there. So when you were told that it was the C word, I mean, what were you thinking then? Well, um, like I said, it, it, I was told that and I got it taken out that same day. I just had a couple of hours to process it while I was kind of in the waiting area and they were getting me prepped and everything. I didn't know what stage it was going to be because obviously they didn't biopsy it because I asked about that and he said, well, to biopsy it, we have to open you up anyway to take out some of the, you know, so why go through that twice? And I didn't really know this urologist. So I'm like, well, can I trust to his judgment? But I said, well, do I want to be opened up twice if it is cancer? So I said, you know what, just take it out if it is. And um, I was just really kind of shocked. Um, yes, cancer does run in my family, unfortunately, but the fact that it was testicular, uh, I was like, wow, I, I really thought, okay, am I not going to be able to get an erection, you know, and just, you know, get my normal functions. And I cleared that up with him and he explained to me that that's not going to be the case, but not knowing what stage it was and how advanced it was, that was probably the scariest thing. So what were your next steps after your orchiectomy recovery? And then you had to make some decisions about the next steps for treatment. Yeah. So luckily um, that was on a Monday, February 26th. Um, I did, and of course the next three days we, until I actually got the results replied to three hardest days and most nerve wracking days, because obviously he's removed a ball without really knowing if it's cancer or not. And then if it is, how, how, how advanced it is. So it was three days of just complete uncertainty. I couldn't really sleep when he when he called me on Thursday and he said, Hey, it was stage one, non-seminoma or seminoma with negative margins that it looked good. The fact that it was only stage one. Um, and he said, all right, we're going to still send, you know, there's a possibility you could do chemo or, you know, just some follow-up. So they were going to send me to the oncologist. And so I visited an oncologist about a month and a half later and they gave me two options. They said, well, based on your numbers, you know, we can do follow-ups about every six months for about five years. There's about a 15% chance recurrence, or we can do one dose, one double dose of carboplatin, um, chemo, which should lower the, the risk to about two, three, four percent the most. I thought about it. I said, well, if it's even if it's one double dose of chemo, it's just going in there one time. I shouldn't have the side effects of people that, you know, have later stage cancers that go in quite honestly. I was afraid, okay, is my hair going to fall out kind of thing. But when he said it's really just one time, and if it's going to reduce the risk by that much, I said, let me just do that. So, I decided to do the one double dose of the carboplatin. 
Talk to me about your experience with carboplatin because I think I could be incorrect, but I think you're the first one I've talked to who had carboplatin. Um, honestly, it, you know, I was in the, in the chemo room for maybe four hours or something. Um, cause again, it was a double one double dose. I actually did not have any side effects three days later. Maybe I had a, a bit of a stomach ache, but that was it. Um, actually, so, and to go back to your recovery, I apologize for that. So I, you know, the day I had the surgery, I walked out that day. Um, I, that was on a Monday. I missed work on Tuesday. I kind of just stayed home. I pretty much, I had to, um, sleep on my, you know, cause the incision was the upper left part of the upper groin area. Um, so I had to, I'm a side sleeper. So I had to sleep on my, on my couch so that I wouldn't purposely turn around and put pressure on there. Um, and then I went back to work on Wednesday just because I was bored. Um, they allowed me to wear sweats. I said, am I okay to wear sweats? I just, you know, um, but, and honestly to me, and I have a, I have a high threshold for pain. So, um, I was maybe about a seven. So I only took the, the medication for about two days and then I just dealt with it. Of course, you know, they put that, that jock strap on you and things like that. And, you know, you gotta, you know, wear that. So, but other than that, I mean, I was fine. And again, the carboplatin for me was not, um, it did not give me any side effects. So that's great. Um, yeah. with your familial history with cancer, did that affect your decision-making at all with your treatments? Um, no, uh, I just, I said, Hey, you know what, if it's going to reduce it, then, I mean, yeah. And now I was the youngest in my, in my family because both, both my grandparents on my, on my father's side and then two, um, and an uncle on his side, um, all got it, but they, they were already in their fifties or, or later. So I said, you know what, I have a lot of life to live. And so I, I just said, you know what, if I, if I can reduce this risk, why, you know, why, why not? I mean, keep it at 15 or reduce it down to maybe three or four. I mean, and, and with one session, to me, it was a no brainer. Gotcha. Okay. So you were 2018. So we're recording this on January 29th, 2023. This will come out March 1st. So you will be just about five years out, which is the benchmark for like being clear. So talk to me about, you know, each year and, and the follow-up appointments and how that kind of affects you. Well, it's, it's funny because I call it anxiety. Um, so, so that was February of 18, of course, February, um, yeah, that December was really kind of my first follow-up and each year, 19, 20, 21, um, all the numbers were great. Um, it was pretty much they didn't see anything. So December of 22, sorry, no, no, sorry. December 21, even though it was only three years, because after the first year, sorry. So 18 and so it was 18 in 19, December 19, which was the second follow-up. He basically said, you know what? These numbers are, are so low. Instead of doing them every six months, we'll just do them a year. So did them in December 20. And then in December 21, he said, you know what? These numbers are just, there's nothing there. So basically in December, 2021, he basically said, you know what, I'm going to declare you cancer free. It was really only three and a half years because, you know, I'm doing the CT scans and everything. But I asked him, I said, for my own peace of mind, is there any way I can continue this? You know, it's, yes, it's, it's invasive and all and things like that, but just the way cancer appeared all of a sudden, I mean, it can come back somewhere else. And I wanted to have my own peace of mind. So 
he did say, well, unfortunately, after I've declared you cancer-free, of course, your insurance is not going to cover the a CT scan because those are expensive. So if anything, maybe we can do a chest X-ray. Um, and actually, I just got it done this past Thursday, and I'm waiting for my results. Um, I have the follow-up next Thursday, the second, with him. It was the first chest X-ray I got because he said most insurance companies are not going to deny chest X-ray. And you could still see you know, a lot of what the CT scans, uh, check out, but I do tell you that I'm fine all year long. I don't even think about it except for the one week, you know, when I first go get the blood drawn and then they, they were doing the CT scan or the chest, in this case, the chest x-ray, that one week of waiting and talking to the urologist again, it's, it's that scan anxiety. It's just, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, is there something in there? Is there something in there to me that that's, that's probably the, the hardest week of my year. So. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. It's interesting that your doctor, I guess the insurance would not allow the scans after he declared you. It seems like, I mean, I, I don't know the insurance. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, if five years is the benchmark, it seems like they would allow like up to five years. I don't know. It seems. Yeah, I mean, but what he told me is because, you know, he pretty much, uh, you know, said would have to report to them that everything was, you know, pretty much done in his opinion that to them it would be, I mean, I could do it, but then it would kind of have to be out of my pocket or a lot more out of my pockets, you know? So, so we're, we're going to revert to the chest x-ray and, you know, and he said, yeah, that's, that should not be a problem. So, I mean, it's better than, than nothing, at least for me. A lot of people would be like, okay, I'm done. He's declared me cancer free. I'm good to go. But I just, I want some sort of peace of mind if I can. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring up the chest x-ray because I can't recall ever talking about it on this podcast. And a lot of people I see on the uh, testicular cancer support group are talking about, you know, I got a chest x-ray scheduled. Is that normal? Like, you know, cause testicular cancer, you don't think about your chest, but that is the common kind of follow up for. Well, yes. And he explained to me that because it's not so much the recurrence of the actual testicular cancer, even though some people get a, you know, a second one, it's more where it spreads and it spreads usually up. That's why the CT scans, when they inject all that ink inside of you, um, it's really looking at the lymph nodes and going into the lungs and things like that. So it, it goes up for the most part. That's why the chest x-ray, even after, even though I'm done, um, you know, is, is still important because they can still, they might not see every little thing as the CT scan would see, but they're seeing, you know, the main areas. So that's why. What kind of long-term differences have you seen or noticed um, after testicular cancer side of like long-term side effects. Um, can I, can I speak bluntly? Yeah. On here. Okay. Um, you know, it's more, a little bit of ED sometimes. Yeah. I'm not completely, but it's one of those things where, you know, if, if I get hard, um, it's kind of like I have to act on it now because I can, you know, I can lose that erection quickly. And then it's hard for, you know, where before I could maintain it a lot longer, you know, without, you know, without losing it. As, as a, it now that, that's probably the, that's probably the biggest effect. Um, I do sometimes get what feels like maybe a hernia where I feel like pulling on the inside. And one of the times I went to the urologist on the follow-ups, I asked him about that and he checked to see if it was a hernia. He said, no, he said, it's the scar tissue from the operation. So your scar tissue is healing. So sometimes you might 
take a step or whatever and you feel like, oh, or, uh, or sometimes I'd be sitting on my desk working and I would feel kind of like pulling inside my groin area. I'm thinking, oh my God, now I got a hernia. And he said, no, it's just whatever it is, it's a scar tissue that's healing and, you know, it's normal. So that's still to this day or that was earlier on? That was earlier. I haven't had it in, a, in about a year and a half or two years. All right. So we have a question on the submission about whether or not you have had kids before chemo or, or uh, before treatment and bank sperm and everything. And in your answer, you said that no, because you're a gay man. So I want to talk about kind of testicular cancer in the LGBTQ plus community. And, and if you know anything about it and you know how it's kind of talked about there. To be honest with you, Stephen, it's actually not talked about much, even, even in our community. I mean, as a gay man, obviously, you know, your, your, your balls are, you know, quite, you know, important and everything like that. Um, but it's still just a kind of a taboo subject, no matter in what community you talk about. Um, but it, it can also be a bit of a, a topic as well, because if you're going to meet someone, let's say, yeah, you don't have a, you don't have a partner or, you know, whatever your sexual situation is, you're going to meet someone. And, you know, if you start talking about intimacy or something say, Hey, you know what, have you been with a uniballer before? And then, you know, that conversation comes up like, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, I've never been with a guy that has only one ball, you know? And then they start to ask, you know, how does that work? I mean, do you, you know, you kind of have to educate them that, Hey, everything, luckily still works fine. Um, you know, because one of the things that, that my, uh, you all just told me when he said he was, that it was cancer and he has to remove, I said, so am I going to lose, you know, the, be able to get an erection or ejaculate or anything like that? And he basically said, no, that as, as males, we produce all of our hormones in one quarter of one testicle. So one is more than enough. So I actually kind of joked with them. I said, so why do we have two? Is it for balance or something like that? You know, so, um, but no, I mean, it's, it's still kind of taboo in the, in the, in the LGBTQ uh, plus community as well. Um, but I don't think as many gay men have a problem, you know, doing their self checks as a, you know, heterosexual man, because I mean, you know, it is what it is. You're, you're down there a lot anyway, you know, or you could have your partner, your male partner or spouse, whatever, check it for you as well too. You know, I mean, they can notice a lot of stuff too. Being another male, they can notice any anomalies as well too. So that, there, there is an advantage in that regards. Um, you know, if, if you're one that doesn't get used to, you know, aren't used to checking or check yourself, you know, if you're sexually active with your partner or, or various partners, they can, you know, as males, they know what's wrong you know, or they know if something's wrong so they can tell you as well. So I, I mean, there, so there's pros and cons. Yeah. It sounds pretty well, like positively received when you're sharing it with other guys. Yeah. I mean, it, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey, as, to be honest with you, as long as it works, you know, that's kind of what, um, you know, so. All right. So in survivorship, I mean, you you, your doctor kind of declared you at, an earlier date. Um, since then, you know, you still have this anxiety. What does the future look like as you pass the five year mark? You know, what is the talk of your, your surveillance now? Is there any going to be, is there going to be any surveillance? Well, like I said, so, um, technically, yeah, it'll be five years next month. Um, 
I do have my follow-up with him on Thursday for this was my first chest X-ray this past Thursday. I'm going to talk to him. And if I can continue doing the chest X-rays each year, I'm, I'm going to do that. I I'd rather, I'd rather know, Hey, I mean, if, if that can detect some sort of anomaly in my lung area, lymph nodes or whatever, it's better than just living life. You know? Yeah. It would save me this anxiety for a week or so a year. But to me, that's better, you know, having that anxiety and knowing that there's something there as opposed to just living my life and then discovering something that's stage three or stage four, you know, kind of thing. Um, so if I'm going to talk to him about it, but if I can continue doing the chest x-rays, I, I'll do it. I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's not a painful procedure at all or anything like that. It's just, you know, some time out of, out of my mornings, you know, so. Yeah. Talk to me about your like treatment facilities. Cause you're in North Carolina. So what's around you and what are the big centers if you went to a big center? Yeah. So, um, Cone Health is in Greensboro where I am is, is probably is the, the biggest uh, medical facility. And, um, they sent me, so the, uh, to the, the urology center that I, that I first got after I got the, um, the ultrasound is part of Cone Health. And then they, that's, that's where they, they remove the, the nut. And then, um, Wesley Long Cancer Center is part of is part of Cone Health. And that's where I went to talk to the oncologist and that's where they did the chemo for me. So um, the good thing with uh, North Carolina, they do have quite a good medical facilities too. So that's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share that I didn't ask about? Well, um, sometimes I will tell you, sometimes when I read other people's testimonies, and I see how bad they, they had it, you know, with RIPLND and all this other stuff, stage three and even stage two with the BEP and all that. One of the hardest things for me is sometimes feel, I feel like I shouldn't be considered a survivor because my, my journey was very, I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, it just, I was very lucky. But sometimes I feel compared to other people, should I really call myself a survivor? But you know what my husband tells me, he says, Hey, they, they took your nut out. You know, you're not, you know, cancer took, took that from you. So you are a survivor, but sometimes it's just hard to, to mentally see that when you had, when you see other people that had the same disease and, you know, and, and they were a lot worse. Now, the other thing that I really, you know, want to emphasize from this. And I think I put it on my paperwork is no matter who you are, don't be ashamed to touch yourself, to check yourself because testicular cancer granted. Yes, it could be, it is probably one of the most survivable cancers, but if it's caught early, it is also one of the, the fastest growing cancers as well. I mean, in two weeks you can go from different stages, you know? So if you say, Oh, you know, I don't want to touch myself because I'm ashamed or, you know, very macho or whatever. And, and, and who cares, you know, who your doctor is, whether it's another male and he has to touch you down there, you know, who cares? I mean, Hey, if he has to touch you down there, just suck it up because it, you know, he could be saving your life. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, you definitely are a survivor. And I, I remembered you putting that in there and I read it in my email, but I think yeah. the printer ran out of ink. So, okay. um, yeah, so, but that's great. I mean, somebody just recently said the other day in a group chat we have with a bunch of local TC guys it, that you know, we're all in different boats in the same rocky water. So, you know, everybody's got their own story, but we're all going through it. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
And I really feel it just, it's what makes me unique. And it's what makes me who I am, you know? And you mentioned your husband. Was your husband around at the time of this or did you guys meet after? No, no, he he was around. He was around. The only thing that was kind of surprising for him is because, so, you know, I, I went to the urologist after the, after the, um, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, ultrasound and my, my GP said, we got to get you to the urologist. Now I went there on my lunch break. I was working and I said, cause I really thought, okay, yes, they see a mass there. I really thought, Oh, he's going to look at it. He's going to give me some sort of antibiotic or something like that to make the swelling go down or whatever. I didn't really think that it would even be cancer. So I went there on my lunch break. I didn't, um, I left my computer at work and everything. And for him to tell me, for him to, you know, uh, for the urologist to go out and say, let me see when I can get you in after he told me that he thought it was cancer. And I really thought, okay, he's going to come back and say, oh, come back in two or three days. And the fact that he comes back and says, we can get you into the, uh, up into the OR at 4.30 today. You know, operation should, operation should be about an hour, an hour and a half recovery, and, you, you know, you should be gone by like 7.30. So he, my husband was still working, and all of a sudden I had to call him. I had to leave him a message and say, hey, by the way, I can't talk anymore. They're prepping me for surgery. Um, he didn't, you know, I mean, that shocked him, but he, he didn't get to the hospital until I was already out of the surgery. You know, I mean, cause it was so fast. Yeah. <clears throat> so what kind of effect did that have on your husband? You know, not even knowing what was going on, you left him a message and he came after the surgery. Well, I mean, he, he was kind of scared. He was like, Oh my God, are you okay? More than anything, just the fact that he knew I'd never been, he was worried for me because I'd never been sick a day in my life, never been in the hospital. And all of a sudden, you know, he sees me in, in the recovery, recovery area, um, of course he was very worried. Okay. Was I going to need help out or whatever I needed? Um, you know, and he was, I mean, honestly, he did, he asked me, he said, well, did you, did you ask how it's going to affect our sex life and things like that as well too, you know? And I, I told him, I said, from what I was told, because honestly, I, you know, I really thought, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm never going to function again. And that's when my urologist told me that it's not prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is a lot more invasive in that regard. And that's when he told me about how, you know, I should still be able to get hard. And, you know, so, um, he asked me about that. And of course, Oh, you know, any help that I need, I said, I told him, I said, you know, me, I, I, um, I've got the big pain threshold. Don't worry. I just have to sleep on the, I just have to sleep on the couch for about a week or so or however long I need to. Um, so if I don't, if I don't come to bed in the middle of the night, you know, that's, I mean, you know, uh, but no, he, I mean, he was there. He was very supportive. Of course he was scared, but, um, when we found out it was, uh, it was Monday, when we found out on Thursday, that it was just stage one. I mean, it was a relief for both of us, you know? So is he doing his self checks now or was he before? He was not before he is now. Yes. That's good. Hey, you saving a life. Well, and, and that, that's, that's the biggest thing. If, if, if anything from my story, I just tell people, Hey, that's why I said, don't be ashamed. Don't, you know, don't let that macho get in the way because, you know, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. It's your life. Juan Alatore, thank you so much for being on your takes balls. I appreciate it so much. Thanks to you. I really appreciate it. For more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey, visit testiculacancerawarenessfoundation.org. You can also follow us on social media at Testis Cancer. We're on Facebook at Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation.